two. I am not a rocket ship. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of What's Your and Binge, a podcast brought to you by Joe and Chris. I'm Chris. That's Joe. Yes, indeed. The one and only. So tonight we're doing a very special edition here. And before we do, we just want to give a quick thanks and a very quick announcement to everybody. This episode is going to be coming out this week. So it's going to be the first one that everybody hears with our new series of uh, ads that we're doing with our new advertiser and sponsor, Life Activated. Life Activated is a CBD brand product. And, you know, I uh, we've talked about this a couple times, man, Joe. Like, whenever you wake up in the morning, you've got aches and pains, and you're kind of foggy, and it's kind of a slow start. Uh, they've yeah, got I, some pro- Go ahead. I have to sleep with a heating pad on my back pretty much because that's, that's uh, where I'm at in life. That's where you are, right? Yeah. So yeah. They, they've got an amazing new product out that uh, whenever first thing in the morning with your vitamins, Pop a couple of these suckers. It's got a high energy blend in it, so it automatically gets you sharp and focused. And then on top of that, it has a 25 milligram CBD compound that helps take the edge off of those aches and pains. And you'll immediately, within a couple of days, start noticing that both the aches and pains and that mental fogginess that we get as we all get older, uh, you'll notice that that is actually uh, quickly disappearing with this product. Uh, you could go to the website. It's up. It's up now. Uh, look for the tag "Life Activated." You can go directly to their website. You can order with the "What's Your F and Binge" promo code. You'll get free shipping, and uh, you'll get a special discount on your first order. And um, uh, they're able to do this within uh, normally uh, in a two-day bill, uh, two-day uh, mail-out cycle. But with COVID going on, delaying things, that might uh, mess with it a little bit. So bear with them. But uh, these products are great. They're a brand new sponsor for us. We've given nothing but high marks, and, and they're doing great things with us uh, here for the rest of the year. This is our uh, first introduction for you guys to them, and we just want to make sure everybody checks them out. So go to the website. Go to What's Your F and Binge on Facebook. Go to What's Your F and Binge uh, uh, at gmail.com. And uh, you can also go on the Twitter and Instagram accounts and just click the link for Life Activated. It'll take you directly to the What's Your F and Binge order page. Not only do they have a roll-on ointment, if you have a couple sore spots, you know, like I have a horribly bad foot. I can't wait for them to get this to me because I have uh, plantar fasciitis. And I was telling the CEO about this. I was talking to his, his name is uh, Brandon and, uh, I was talking to Brandon last week and I was like, yeah, I've got this plantar fasciitis that just became an issue. And he's like, dude, we have just the thing for you. Hang on a second. So he's sending this out to me and I can't wait to get it. He said, dude, I promise within like two or three days, you're not going to have to, uh, every day you come home, you're not going to be in pain from your plantar fasciitis because this is uh, something that as you get older, I guess it just happens. Well, they have, they have this roll on product. that's like a miracle cure for that. Or if you have a bad knee or you got a bad elbow or shoulder, anyways, go to the website, check it the fuck out. It's a new day. Motherfuckers. You can get medicine with CBD in it. So, you know, try it. That's life activated. Use the promo code F and binge. CBD right. really is CBD really is a, uh, it's kind of a miracle drug. It's not just for hippies anymore. So, so yeah, yeah man. It, def- it definitely works. They're they're using it for so many things. You know, if you got if you uh, they've used it with kids with autism, kids who have bad ep- epilepsy, cancer patients, heart patients, uh, 
you know, soldiers with PTSD and taking the edge off with all of that without being high. That's the stigma, you know, it, it, that it, that's that's the difference is that you're able to take this this uh, uh, compound out of the without the THC, without the psych, psycho effects uh, that uh, come with it and just get the physical relief and and the relief that your body or mind needs from it. It really is just a miracle product. So we're really proud to endorse it. And uh, you, everybody, make sure you give it a chance and, and check it out for us. <clears throat> so uh, this week we got a we got a special edition. Uh, we are going to talk about um, Quentin Tarantino and his works. And with us this week, we're bringing back uh, by popular demand, Mr. Brandon Dixon. Brandon. Doing great, man. How's it going? Good, bud. Good. Glad to have you back on, man. And uh, this time. Uh, uh, the last time Brando was on, we had just started our wonderful journey of quarantining the nation. So uh, uh, Joe and Brandon basically lived two blocks away from each other, but we all had to be in different locations. Tonight, Joe and Brandon are able to be in the in the same house together while we do the recording. So together again, same couch. Yeah, S- same couch, but still social distancing. Four, same you know, couch. Four yes. Feet away. Yes. Uh, masks, masks at the ready. So. We're we're all experiencing yeah. the new normal together, you know. So, uh, it, it, it yeah. is what it is. Meanwhile, though not being quarantined anymore, here we are with uh, eight o'clock curfew in our state. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just remembered I got to get home after this. <laughs> so that ought to be. You'll be all right. That that ought to be something. But you yeah. know, luckily our town isn't really enforcing much of that. You know, it's we're pretty laid just back here. So just remember, Joe, run serpentine. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I can't take it. The, the 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 thought of you, Dad, out there, and me alone here with the bullets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This whole Sheldon Cornpet rant. <laughs> what a guy. The in-laws. Yeah, Great movie. If anybody doesn't get the reference, check it out. Oh, yeah. All Peter right. Falk, Alan Arkin. Amazing. <laughs> so, uh, uh, as usual, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and, and bring it in with current events. How, how's the week been for everybody? Joe, what, you know, on a good note, the nation is getting to see sports coming back. The NBA has announced their new schedule. 22 teams, yeah. Yeah, 22 teams. It's going, to be an, it's going to be an unusual approach. It's some sort of like a round-robin play-in for the teams that aren't in the normal playoff deck. It's not a normal playoff. There's some play-in with playoff. 20, 22 teams all together, and then it gets whittled down to 20, then 18, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Yeah, based on so, the, the the beginning eliminations is based on record, and then they go into five and seven game series. Yeah, so there's already eight teams that that are just done for the year, I guess, because there's thirty yeah. in the NBA. So I guess, I mean, if you're the fucking, I, I, who even, dude, I haven't even watched the NBA this year. Who sucks? Yeah, I, mean, I know who's it. Just, and who's just absolute trash this year? That's not even going to make that. As far as the absolute trash teams that cannot possibly make it in, you've got um, uh, Nashville, um, you have the Pacers, you have, um, I think Detroit was on the outside, and I think uh, the, the Pelicans. Who the fuck is Nashville? 
That's what I was wondering. I mean, I mean Memphis. I mean Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I'm like, what the hell? That's how much of a gay fan I am. Uh, yeah, right? No, I'm, I'm not at all, so but, uh, I don't even know how many teams they have. Uh, I think the one big uh, the one big missing point for the fans is the fact that the Pelicans aren't going to be included, so we don't get to see Zion Williamson continue his rookie <clears throat> career. So yeah, you know it is what it is. But at least we have sports back tonight. I was watching UFC, you know, and it, it's really weird watching the basketball games. Is going to be weird for everybody who's not a fight fan. But for the past. Three out of the past four weeks, basically, I've been able to watch MMA, and I'm a real big fight fan. And and um, uh, watching it without the crowds is really bizarre because Dana White, being who he is, um, he's not quite Vinnie Mac, but at the same time, he knows how to put on a show. And yeah. here they are. They have Michael Buffer still coming out and fighting out of the red corner, and there's no fucking fans, and it's like, yeah. This is so yeah. surreal. surreal. Yeah, it's really strange, um, man. Um, so, but it is awesome to have live sports back. At least something to talk about instead of rehashing, no. you know, the the 1985 fucking Bears for the 30th time or whatever. And you guys know I'm already I'm a fan of WWE. You know what I mean? I watch it all every Monday night. Right. And I can't say. I mean, it was definitely strange seeing it without a crowd. Watching WrestleMania, watching WrestleMania without the crowd was yeah, really last, freaking real, the, really the, weird. That was the last li- live event that I watched myself because I was like, man, I can't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't well, I don't, now this last yeah. couple of weeks they brought in like their NXT wrestlers and everybody yeah. are standing on the sidelines. You know, they're behind partitions. You know, huh. so they're still yeah, keeping so, safe. I, 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 I saw SmackDown. But, they were behind sneeze guards last night. But yeah, there's so there was you know, some kind of. But there's some kind of yeah. Huh. yeah. There's something there could, again. So it's could it's you a little hear bit better pop? now. Could you hear any pop whenever something happened? Like if someone, you know, jerks the curtain and comes out and the music plays, do you hear anything, or is it still kind of just weird? It's still a little weird. I mean, it's yeah. Because you got, I mean, they are wrestlers, so there's biased opinions there to begin with. So. Right, you know when a new re- when another wrestler comes out, you don't hear the cheers you would from a regular crowd, but you'll hear a little booze and stuff. Yeah, uh, who was talking last night? I was. Uh, did you watch it last night, Brandon? I missed it last night, but I watched Monday Night Raw. Somebody was talking last night. Ah, oh, fuck, Daniel Bryan or someone. And, oh yeah, and, and you could see the um, yeah, and AJ Styles. AJ Styles, yeah. Yep. And uh, you could hear a little reaction from the the people out there. They were, you know, playing along and stuff with the NXT guys. And so, but it was still weird because I I was watching. I was like, man, is there, how do you get to be part of the crowd? Then I was like, oh, man, these guys are rocking their fucking, uh, (laughs) they're rocking their gear out there. Yeah, yeah, they're all rocking their merchandise and shit. Yeah, they're part part of the yeah, basically part of the staff is, is out there, and maybe some camera guys that fucking aren't working or whatever get to to kind of fill in the the seats or whatever. So, but yeah, it was it was strange. It, it's weird. There's plexiglass up everywhere and, and watching it. But, it'd be uh, it'd be it'd be uh, hilarious if we could somehow or another go down to Florida and sneak into the uh, NXT training grounds and uh, <laughs> yeah. show up in some uh, What's Your F and Binge t-shirts. But like, dude, we got merch, man. Look at it. <laughs> yeah, we got gear. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, 
it was it was cool. It kind of you know, it seemed a little better that AJ Styles was not talking to the TV. He was actually talking to what appeared to be kind of a crowd. And of course, my wife got home early from work. She's like, "This is stupid. Why are you watching it?" So <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like, well, I was I was here first, so yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. I hope I hope uh, baseball uh, gets sorted out. They're still, I mean, everyone this, uh, else has got their shit hashed out. Baseball is the only one that doesn't, and yeah, it's the only you know, one even, that I really kind of give a shit about. You know, yeah, and, and, and the scary interest. and the scary thing is what this sets up next year for the CBA. Uh, you know, the collective bargaining agreement right. uh, is up uh, at the end of this season, so. Before next year starts, they have to have the CBA ready, and they can't even reach an agreement to have this season. So, right, uh, that makes it kind of wobbly. Like we might not go without baseball, and these are important years for guys. You know, your Clayton is reaching the end. Um, uh, you know, I mean, missing a season and possibly another because of the CBA agreement, you're looking at two years at the end of, at the end of his career that. He can't right. afford to get back, you know. I mean, there. I mean, there's only so much uh, spring yeah. in the arm, you know. So, or well, this also, might help some of these guys that are at the it end. Might, of the, sure, you know. This also uh, counts as a, as a time served for him too, though. Um, Everybody like, gets uh, credited like guys, towards their free agency right. and, and all right. that. Yeah, this is this is whether they play or not. This is a season for them. So for us, which is uh, weird Dodger for fans. you guys uh, because you guys might lose. Mookie Betts without yeah. him playing a game without for us. ever swinging it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which, which which would piss me off and no end. No, and yeah. I feel the I feel the same way, dude, right now because so I'm bigger on NFL. I love me too. football. Yeah, I love baseball, but I'm more on NFL, and uh, so as you guys know, I'm a Raiders fan. And one of my favorite picks that we took this year, <laughs> I had such hope for him, Henry Ruggs III. Uh-huh. And within the last couple of weeks, during everything that's going on, he somehow managed to get <laughs> pinned between a fucking couch or something and a car while moving shit and has an injury nice. that could be fucking career-ending. Yeah, and career he hasn't even gotten his fucking put started. on the silver and black yet. It's like, yeah. is that is that the receiver you guys got? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, I'm so fucking upset about oh, it, but you know, it's like, yeah. dude, what what the fuck is going on this year? <laughs> yeah, that's that's your first clue that you never should have moved from Oakland, uh, <laughs> Davis family. Uh, but uh, no, I, I love the fact that we're out of Oakland, man. I do. I, I dig. I dig a Vegas team. I I, I do think that I, I do think I they should have stayed in California. Raiders, I'll say that, but I don't know if the Raiders should have been that team. I would rather have seen it be one of the LA teams get moved. I, I understand you're 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 wanting them to come out of Oakland, but it's just such a, you know, like during the '80s, whenever they moved to LA, yeah, I still called them the Oakland Raiders, and a whole bunch of people did too. Yeah, and it, it's going to yeah, be sure. a while before that That's really. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's because I'm old. And, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, um, 
But then again, uh, that would also have not really given us the start of NWA because one of the things that Cube talks about is whenever the Raiders came to fucking L.A., it was like, yeah, yeah. we got the silver and black. And they donned the all the all black uh, yeah. apparel and everything. Because Easy of the E, stuff. Ice Cube, all of them, man. You know, it could have changed a little bit of history there, you know, if that had not happened. <laughs> if Dre was um, wearing a uh, Rams gear. <laughs> yeah, you know, blue and gold. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. <laughs> the nwa and blue and gold you know fuck the police while we're wearing fucking you know gold and whatever but uh okay, helmets <laughs> it's so ram horns on so here's now. here's another one for you talking sports uh so there was a i believe it was a one of the chargers fucking players i can't remember his name but someone one of them came out and was saying you know they're talking about playing with no audience and shit and he's like oh well i'm used to that you know because from the Chargers, because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> after they moved to LA, man, they didn't have any fans. They the put stands, them in that, you know? yeah, they put them in that little <laughs> shitty soccer stadium that only held twenty thousand. Yeah, they were only selling at like half capacity till people uh, started showing up. But LA is just such a hard sports team. How, sports, <laughs> yeah. how can you have two teams for every fucking sport? And I understand there's twenty million people there, but um, um. Outside of, uh, you know, I mean, obviously they don't have a NASCAR spot there, but I mean, there's basically two ba- basketball teams, basically two baseball teams. Yep. If you count Anaheim being, you know, just an hour up the road. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then uh, two football teams. Uh, there's basically, well, hockey doesn't have because the closest one would be San Jose, I guess, but. So you've got like seven major sports teams in the same town. Plus, it's fucking Hollywood. That's, yeah. a, I mean, you know, that's a horrible town to sell tickets in. It yeah. really is, unless you, you know, the Lakers. You know, um, they, you know, they, they always are going to have Jack Nicholson courtside. Other than that, you know, I mean, what else? So it's yeah. just a. I would have rather have seen you know, either the Chargers or the Rams move out to Vegas, but the Raiders being the Vegas team is also going to be kind of a cool deal because, you know, the NFL bad boys being in Vegas where everything everything could possibly go fucking wrong if you're an NFL team in Vegas. And the Raiders being the team that gets to jump through that fucking landmine uh, is going to be pretty fun with uh, John Gruden at the helm. The first time they they fuck up curfew because they're all out at the fucking – because uh, you know, the <laughs> they're out of Treasure Island Casino. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, that's going to happen. I guarantee oh, it's, it's probably going to happen with every team that comes into town the first year. You know, um, it will. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that they're being a little more lenient on the gambling rules because that's going to be the biggest downfall of it. Well, you know, is, they can't be. You know, they can't be lenient about betting on the sport or else you right. create uh, right but Pete Rose situations but like as as it stands right now I mean it's I may be wrong but I'm pretty sure it's any kind of gambling when you're in Vegas and you work for a fucking and you're playing on a team you know maybe you may be maybe right I'm wrong on that, that. Um, but well it may be it may be league dependent because remember Dennis yeah. Rodman took off in the middle of the season for the Chicago Bulls to go to Vegas and party. Yeah. And he gambled. So, you know, I mean, it may be league specific. And of course that was uh, the nineties are a totally different time than they are now, obviously. But, 
Um, yeah. yeah, I might, might have to look into that just to fact check it. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious on it too because, you know, I I'm pretty sure the NFL is a I mean no no fucking no gambling at all. You know what I mean? But you would think there'd be some sort of conflict of you got of, a, uh, interest there. Yeah, yeah, and that's always been the big thing that's kept a team out of Vegas. Other yeah. than you know, it really wasn't except for the Davis family really pushing the the hand of the league. And getting Vegas the the big bid. If it wasn't for that, then you know, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of strings pulled to, just to get them there. So I'm sure there's got to be restrictions in place. There's got to be. Yeah. So and you know, I'm I'm excited to see how this pans out, man. Because you know, honestly, I mean, I know there's there's been all kinds of jokes yeah. online, dude, about the way the stadium looks looks like a Roomba, you know, giant Roomba. <laughs> And it does when you after you picture it, it's like, oh shit, they did build a giant room, but but you know if what? you get the if you take if you look at it from an aerial view, you know, like a yeah. drone shot or whatever, it, it does look like a Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's it's gonna be one of the biggest the biggest Roomba. I mean, it'll be right? that's one of the most state of the art coliseums, man. Yeah, it's the biggest Roomba. I'm fucking kind of excited <laughs> to see that, you know. And I'm hoping the Raiders will come out and fucking kick some ass this year because man were, it's been hard were, being a Raiders fan for years yeah <laughs> I, feel I want to I want to see some cow- shit man <laughs> being a Cowboys fan at least we haven't had the complete playout playoff drought that you guys have but I understand your pain being one of the yeah. like the NFL is better if the Steelers are good if the Raiders are good if the Broncos are good if the Cowboys yeah. are good the NFL is just a better product if all of the old mainstay teams are good, you know. Right. And uh, with the two of us being kind of, you know, we've been uh, for the past twenty-five years basically a five hundred team. You guys have been below five hundred, and uh, the Steelers have gotten a couple. And you know, it, it, it's just yeah. you know now that Brady's out of New England, it's a it's a wide open fucking year this year. Yeah. So uh, it'd be cool to see some movement and some uh, with some other. Things I really like what Kansas City. Last year's Super Bowl was the first Super Bowl I was excited to watch in, in a few years. I was Other excited than, too, man. Even though I hate the Chiefs, yeah, I'm glad that an AFC different. West team brought it back to the back home. You know, yeah. It's, it's yeah, been I, a long time, man, and it's you know, it's it was, dude. It was a good game. Let's, yeah. let's just say that. I mean, it was a good Super Bowl. It, it was. Uh, you yeah, saw Joe and I kind of the a, future of. Of, of what the NFL is going to be. Yeah, yeah. We, we we saw what the um, what the future is definitely going to look like. That's for that's for fucking sure. You got two brand new, two new minded offensive coordinators, two new type quarterbacks. Yeah, two right. two new type play schemes with the 49ers running everywhere and right. kind of like uh, kind of like Baltimore does. And then you have the Chiefs just throwing the ball everywhere. Yeah, which Houston kind of does as well. Um. And, uh, you know, uh, for that matter, the Cowboys and the Raiders this year look like they're kind of set to just be like, fuck it, we're going to try to score 70 points and, and you guys just try to outscore us. Um, so, you know, it that seems to be what the trend is. It's probably what we're going to see for the next 10 years. Yeah, I think so, Before man. they figure out how to run the ball again, you know. I mean, even though the Raiders lost fucking lost rugs for right now, we got that kid in the fourth round, man, Bowden. Versatile player, man, can play any position, including quarterback. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited as hell, man, to see 
what kind of plays they're going to run. They can, because... Hopefully they can figure out what to do with him because the last yeah. five or six iterations of that type of player have not really, you know, uh, yeah. done with the last one who well, did well that I can think of is Cordell Stewart. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about um... – Other than Tebow having that one-year run. No, I'm not talking about Tebow. That guy who played wide receiver for the Redskins not long ago. Oh, there was one from this first too. What was his uh, name? Yeah, from the you're Steelers? talking about the you're talking about the guy that played at IU, Joe. The guy that played for the Redskins. No, um, I'm talking about he was a quarterback and they played wide receiver. Oh, yeah, the kid from Ohio State. Yeah, 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 yeah. The fuck's yeah, his name? Yeah, um, I can't think of his name right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's an experiment in progress. Uh, uh, he, but did, going, he did fairly well. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the first one since Cordell Stewart, I guess. Ed, Ed's guy. You know, so. Ed, Ed drafted him. <laughs> I just call him Ed's dude. And see, and the Raiders, the Raiders tried when they brought in Terrell Pryor. That's who it is, but, Terrell Pryor. Was it? Yeah, yeah Terrell that's Pryor. exactly. What but I was that was about. that was a bust with the Raiders. Well, he did well with the Reds. But they brought him in as a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, and was, uh, we were going through our quarterback carousel right then. They turned Pryor into a wide receiver, and he had yeah. a couple good years. No, and he was a great receiver. Yeah. But Raiders never used him as a receiver. Right. They just brought him in as our quarterback right then. Well, uh, when know, we're down three, we need one. and you need someone who can throw the ball <laughs> 70 yards. You know? So it's – you know, but uh, who was it? Man, there was one for the Steelers. It was one of the years, I think it was in the 05 when, or 06. That, that's the Cordell Stewart, Cordell Stewart, Stewart years. Yeah. When they won the Super Bowl. Oh, San Antonio Holmes. San Antonio Holmes. Yeah. And he, he played, he did the wild card or the wildcat plays for him. Yeah. He, he, did, he ran a little wild card. Uh, wild card. The <laughs> wildcat. Wild yeah. You know. Which that was something, that was, that was a strange novelty, huh? For like two years, the wildcat yeah. was, you know. The big thing. Yeah. How are you going to defend the Wildcat in Miami? I mean, Miami was like a novelty team for a while. They still sucked, but I mean, they had the Wildcat. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, then, that's that's how they sold tickets. They didn't even put yeah. up player faces. They're yeah. like, "Here's a Wildcat for Dolphins," but here's Wildcat. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, dude. The NFL is always evolving, uh, and that's what's cool about it. I mean, every five years, it seems like there's a shift. In something, there's a shit. Remember the uh, the amoeba defense that uh, Pittsburgh kind of yeah. ran for a while, where it was they? I mean, the, you know, the amoeba defense, and then there was uh, whenever Philadelphia was running those real split tight ends, mm-hmm. I mean, defensive ends where yep. they were like five yards down the line of scrimmage coming from like vector eight all the way on the side, uh, rushing upfield uh, against the quarterback that worked for a couple years, and uh, the amoeba and you know, back in the day, they switched from dominant four three to three four defenses, yep. and you know, and then nickel defense comes in, and and uh, all that stuff. And the running, I mean, yeah, the early nineties. I mean, that was fucking, yeah, I mean, shit. Yeah, the NFL is always Jerry wrong. motherfucking Glanville, Jerry, shit, Jerry Glanville. Uh, those Oilers teams were fun to watch, though, man. I yeah. mean, they were with Warren Moon yeah. throwing for like ninety thousand fucking yards a season, dude. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, they'd have like 300 yards rushing and uh, you know five uh, almost 5,000 yards passing. <laughs> 10.2 million yards. Per, yeah. <laughs> yep. But I mean, that's but that's still, what's fun to watch. Fun. So 
Yeah, you know, and that's what they that's what the uh, they're evolving with now with the Mahomes and you got the run based uh, offenses. You know, I think next year Lamar Jackson and yeah, there's what so, they're doing in San Francisco. There, there's something there. There's that's so many sure. quarterbacks that's that are like that with Sean Watson, uh, Lamar Jackson, yeah, Mahomes, guys that can run or or uh, you know, and of course that started with Cam and before him RG three. Yeah, kind of did a little bit before he fell off. Don't forget about it. And, yeah, don't forget Mike about Bay. a little guy named uh, Randall Cunningham. Randall yeah, Cunningham was definitely. yeah. He started Steve Young back in back then, but then they kind of morphed yeah. into Mike Vick, and then and then this new this new breed of quarterback, which every team yeah. has one. Now. I mean, the Tom Brady, the Tom yeah, Brady we, era is over. The Peyton Manning's where they just sit there like a statue and fucking throw. It's gone. I mean, it's the era of the mobile quarterbacks. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, the quarantine's loosening up for everybody. We're getting, you know, less restrictions. we got some civil unrest going on out there. And, uh, you know, as a, as a country, uh, we, we'll get this, this too shall pass. So yes, we'll will. get through this. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to July 4th uh, for a couple of big reasons. Um, that's whenever everything opens wide open for us here in Indiana. So I'll be back to full-time bartending. Thank fucking God. Tummy, tummy sticks. The liquor store clerk, uh, clerk will be over. Uh, <laughs> which, which I'm sure, which I'm sure a lot of patrons in Jimtown will be very glad to hear of. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then also, you know, uh, Joe and Hefe uh, coming back for uh, celebration. So that'd be that'd be awesome, man. I can't wait for it. Uh, so you know, we got a couple weeks to get there. And uh, hopefully everything sorts itself out, and then, then we can get ready for the uh, venomous uh, El Chupacabra rat and uh, uh-huh. flying spider <laughs> yep. and yep. Uh, the, the asteroid the size of the Empire State Building that they're uh, tracking oh. right now. That they say will skim the atmosphere. That's exciting. That's cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about it? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know it was gonna skim the atmosphere. I just. Uh, the no, headline yeah, I read saying, was, yeah. was uh, it would be whizzing by. So no, no, it's it. it there's there is uh, a, uh, a a percentage likelihood that it could actually uh, hopefully it bounces off the atmosphere. <laughs> so we got that. To so we, to. so by so by the time this airs, it, it would it could all be for nothing. For nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Some, you know, some primitive leftover of us can find one of our three phones, get it to charge up somehow, okay. get a recording okay. of us, and we'll be gods, you know, because we'll be the only recorded living history of the past. Other than that, yeah, it'd be all for nothing. Well, uh, that sounds good. <laughs> you got to think legacy, bro. Legacy. Um, <laughs> the, the, the legacy. <laughs> <laughs> our 114 fans will uh uh-huh. who, who, will, who will no longer be on the planet either um right oh, yeah. well we'll have a very captive audience you know the little light-up box they'll be like oh <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh shit um but yeah uh it, this week we are gonna dive into the life and times of uh, uh, how Quentin Tarantino has changed the industry. And this is uh, more uh, Joe's baby than it is mine. So I'm going to let him kind of take over from there and get us in, into the conversation. And, and uh, 
hopefully everybody enjoys the show. It's I'm sure to be uh, Quentin is always a hot take for a lot of people, so uh, I'm sure we'll get some response out of it. So let it rip, man. Well, uh, I don't know if it's my baby per se, but we were just kind of sitting around uh, thinking about what what kind of like one off show could we do, and uh, we were supposed to have uh, our friend Ed Ortiz was supposed to be here too. Um, maybe he'll show up later. Um, but basically, what could we talk about where we just kind of shoot from the hip, kind of a roundtable type discussion uh, that we all know, we all love. And one of the things that came to mind was Quentin Tarantino um, and kind of the legacy, um, you know, kind of the imprint that, that he's had on the landscape of, of modern cinema and, you know, his influences, the guys that influenced him from like uh, I have to stop for a second and say that that is probably, uh, uh, besides a couple of guests, probably the most artistic sentence ever uttered on the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. A yeah. couple, a couple yeah. fireballs can do wonder for you. He only worked on that for That's a week, right, man. man so. <laughs> <laughs> I have three pages scribbled out of uh, what I was, <laughs> was going to say. Um, <laughs> the, the indelible imprint upon this cinematic landscape. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I think that might that might be the name of this show. Actually. Yeah. Right. There you go. It's uh, free of charge. Um, but no, I just thought it'd be something fun that we could talk about since we're kind of uh, in between guests right now with things being slow with COVID and everyone kind of having their kind of getting back to normalcy um you know uh for me uh quentin tarantino has has played a a a huge part in what i like to view and and uh some of the other directors that i that i watch and and are fond of you can tell that he's definitely influenced them um so so yeah, I just thought it would be something something cool to uh to talk about. I remember the first time I saw the first movie I saw of his was Reservoir Dogs and it was ninety ninety six, so I was, you know, a little behind because that came out in ninety one. Um Right. And I was living in an apartment uh with five other dudes, a two bedroom apartment. And uh, one of my buddies was dating the girl who, who managed the movie theater, and she would come over. She was kind of a kind of an artsy, um, artsy chair, very very cool girl. Uh, but she would come over with her friends and stuff, and, uh, and they clean. Did she house. wear patchouli? She, uh, she did not wear patchouli, but what they were very cool because they'd come over and clean the house for us because we were not <laughs> the best of uh, <laughs> housekeepers. <laughs> I mean, they'd come in and they'd. They do uh, some work on like three weeks worth of trash and then, you know, make us a nice dinner and we'd sit down and watch movies. And, they, you know, she was she kind of had like that. She was kind of had a bohemian feel to her. Um, she had all these indie movies that she'd bring. And, of course, she worked in the industry kind of, you know, running the theater and stuff. And so right. uh, Reservoir Dogs was the first thing uh, of Quentin's that uh, we watched. I think the week before she brought over Clerks from Kevin Smith. Um, and then she brought over Reservoir Dogs, and that was just like a whole new, whole new crazy thing um, to see that. It was like, uh, you know, like, oh, you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs? Like, uh, no, no, man, what's it about? You know, and uh, I was just immediately uh, sucked in by this thing and the way it was shot. Um, 
it definitely has of all his movies it definitely has the most independent feel to it but at the same time he had guys like harvey Keitel. he had guys like uh michael madsen tim roth these are like established actors that came in on you know and worked for almost nothing because they believed in in the product that clinton was you know was putting out and they jumped on board for you know like almost nothing dude because it was a passion project for him and they were you know they saw how engrossed he was with it that they, that they jumped on board and uh what a, just a, what a great piece of cinema it was. yeah it was so yeah and uh um you know that there's a couple of very iconic scenes in the movie obviously um you have the opening scene where they're all sitting around and you know you, you got a bunch of gangsters sitting around the uh diner table talking about <laughs> madonna's uh you know yeah like a virgin right and uh you know that's a very iconic scene and uh, um you know and, and uh you, you got uh then of course you have the ear scene and yep. um uh, uh a couple of uh, things that really stick out to everybody and that movie resonates that's one of the few movies out of the 10 that doesn't get too many haters um uh and and with it being his first one it just launched him onto the scene just all of a sudden with pulp fiction coming very soon thereafter like now all of a sudden there's a lot of heat and now we've got this new phenom what's this kid gonna do next see well what what, what was i called the Death Triangle or whatever, where they're all aiming uh-huh. at each other. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they call me all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know why at eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> but uh, anyways, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, that uh, that was uh, originally. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. But that was a tribute to a particular Western, right? Uh, doing the Death Triangle. The the Mexican standoff. The Mexican standoff. Yeah. Is uh, certainly to me, it reminded me of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly uh, at the end, right. where you got Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach there. Uh, how you got them all just kind of, you know, waiting to see who's going to make the first move or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he, Quentin himself has said that that's probably the most perfect movie ever made. Uh, and he was certainly influenced by Sergio Leone and. and and uh, he cited that probably as as really an inspiration for that scene. So yeah, and you see it again, and you see it in True Romance, or I'm sorry, Natural Born Killers. You see it, um, yeah. and, and True Romance too at the end, yeah, where the feathers are flying around and shit, and, uh, and, and Scagnetti's laying there on the ground, and, and uh, Chris Pan and all that. So yeah, um, I mean that was kind of one of his early trademarks was the the standoff Pulp fiction you see it in the diner um so yeah it's uh and, and he has so many of those tra- uh, kind of trademarks he has that um and he has kind of he always has something to do with a vehicle a car where someone's driving a car and there's like a narration going on kind of thing yeah. dialogue um so you know and of course the flashback scenes how, how they're kind of shot uh out of order and you have to really pay attention and that's what's cool about it you can't get lost well back then you didn't have cell phones to just sit there and play on um, but you had to really pay attention to what was going on uh otherwise you'd be fucking lost if you just swept away and you're like what the fuck am i watching here <laughs> yeah. 
which is educational. Yeah, which you were already thinking to begin with. Like, dude, <laughs> dude, did that guy just get shot 19 times before he could pour gas on the fucking cop? Um, you know, so, so yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Is there a TV going on? No. Okay. Hold on a second. Hang on one second. Sorry about that. No, I just wanted to make sure before we went any longer. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, so for me, man, my first one that I saw, and I was, I think I was 15. And this is, you know, this is back when you could still rent VHS. And I went in. Blockbuster day. Yeah. So I went in. We have a store here called Bashes. And they used to have a movie rental right there, you know, and I was walking through there and my parents were on the road driving truck. I'm like, well, I'm going to rent a movie tonight. And I saw full fiction on the rack. I'm like, well, what is this, man? So I grabbed it, you know, took it home, checked it out. And that was my first Quentin Tarantino film. And I've loved pretty much every one of them since, you know, it's, but that one, <laughs> Man. Well, you know, talking about Pulp Fiction, we've got uh, we've got a whole collection of stories to go in into with that one. So we'll combine it with my first one, which was I was very late onto the scene uh, dealing with Quentin Tarantino. The only reason I ever even knew Quentin Tarantino movies was because this one asshole buddy of mine back in the day was like, hey, dude, come over and watch this movie. And it was Kill Bill. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And this was over at Joe's house. And, you know, um, so I, I won that, I, I won that movie in a, uh, in a call center contest. Yeah. 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 I sure did. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, fuck yeah, we'll watch it. What is it? And, uh, uh, so it was, that was my first exposure to it. And then quickly thereafter, then it was Pulp Fiction. Reservoir Dogs, and, and Joe takes me on this whole narrative of, okay, we got to get you caught up on everything that Tarantino's done, which at that point, we're, we're stopping at Kill Bill. So combining Pulp Fiction and, and Kill Bill. Yeah. This is whenever he really explores a lot with um, using colors as part of his cinematic experience. Yeah. He really, really uh, jumps into a bunch of shit. In Pulp Fiction, you've got the, uh, um, uh, the Jackrabbit Slims, and Kill Bill, you have all of the Bruce Lee jump seat, uh, jumpsuits and go-go and all of this other shit. And, and the ho- uh, horrific violence, which Reservoir Dogs really sets the, sets the stage for, but it doesn't ha- give you any clue of what's about to come. Yeah. And uh, then he goes into, you know, then it's just total splatter, splatterhouse gore. Um, which he really embraces and makes part of his trademark. And that's, uh, that really comes from these two movies. Yeah. That's where a lot of it, uh, really jumps in as much as anything. Of course, in, in Reservoir, you did have the gratuitous violence, but in no way, shape, or form do you have, the blood, you know, a girl fountains. coming into yeah. the dojo, blood fountains, arms spurting blood, fucking yeah. heads being chopped yeah. off, being shot until the head's fucking, you know, mashed potatoes. <laughs> right. Uh, 
<laughs> you didn't see that until these three movies in particular. But what made Pulp Fiction so great? With that being your first movie, seeing Brandon, the the jumping around of chapters, the first time yeah. everyone really sees that, um, uh, that was that was a mind fucking blower. Yeah, and, sure. you know, back then, like I said, I was fifteen years old, and man, it just blew my mind watching that movie. I was like, dude, this is the shit. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. When fucking and, when they and, hit that uh, bump and. Oh, John Travolta blows his head off in the back of the Yeah, you know, and in, in the one scene, in the, in the one scene where uh, dudes like I want, I want a motherfucker jumping out of a bowl of rice if he's hiding in, in, in Indonesia, and yeah. yeah, all of the dialogue and everything that he has, he's really, this is really, he's really moving into becoming like a really master craftsman of really putting the dialogue out there for the actors in a very succinct and specific way for different characters definitely and uh you're seeing huge character development within films and even with being shot being edited put together out of sequence you see an incredible character character arc with uh travolta uma thurman bruce willis of course and sam jackson and pulp fiction yeah, yeah. And Samuel Jackson, you, you see their entire character arc, even though everything is shot kind of ass backwards and split down the middle, you know. And uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Sam Roth and, and, and his girl, you know, shut up, motherfuckers, or I'll kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know, truly iconic fucking shit in the diner and the fact that the movie both begins and ends with yes. his, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. jumping from those two things is uh and then you finally realize why the fuck is john travolta wearing a beach shirt yeah and didn't he you know didn't he die 30 minutes ago yeah <laughs> right. what what the hell is kind of going on here and um the fact that they focus in on being rain's band-aid on the back of his neck because he had that mole removed in his conversation with bruce willis and and uh you know, you're going you're gonna to feel something. And that's called pride. Pride's a motherfucker. Don't let it fuck with it. That, that, those conversations, yeah. you know. And then whenever he moves into Kill Bill, you've got David Carradine coming back for, you know, an epic Hall of Fame reappearance. Uma Thurman going through all of the stuff and, and all of the training, you know, the, the Rocky fucking montage training scenes yeah, and shit. Right. But, and then it's split into two parts. So it's like the first movie was could have been a standalone. It could have been okay, cool. It's Quentin, so it ended weird. All right, but no, there's a part two that they they filmed it all together, and uh, uh, so the conclusion um, maybe wasn't as good as part one. But in some ways, because you saw all a lot of loose ends tied together, I think part two was as good as for uh, as part one. Uh, even though it went a little bit cartoony in a couple spots. But other than that, I mean, those three movies there, Kill Bill 1 and 2, uh, Pulp Fiction, and then you look at Reservoir Dogs, these first four movies, most directors would be able to live and die as the, those being their their well four best. But that's not the best yet to come. And, and let's not forget about Jackie Brown. No, I mean, that's what did, I was going to say right now. He didn't, no, yeah. He didn't write it. That, that was good. He made that his own. I mean, Michael Keaton. Yeah, is, he made that his own deal. Is kind of a just a, <clears throat> Michael Keaton's good and everything, but I mean, it's he's his character is so understated in that that. Um, yeah. He, <laughs> Most people don't even realize Keaton. Yeah. Is, that he has done it. Right. Uh, Tarantino. Right. Um, 
And I mean, Jackie Brown is, is one of my favorites as well. That was uh, back in the day, me and Brandon, we would have, uh, we would have our Quentin marathons and it would basically be uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and then Jackie Brown and From Dust Till Dawn. Um, I don't think either one of us owned a copy of Natural Born Killers back then or, no. or, <laughs> or True Romance. Otherwise, those would have been included too. But, um, you know, and it, it, if I'm if the chrono uh, if I'm going out of um, going out of order here, I'm not meaning to, but doesn't Pulp Fiction and then going into Kill Bill doesn't that bring us Natural Born Killers? Uh, Natural Born Killers no. was before Kill Bill. Yes, it was before yeah. Kill Bill. Okay, all right. So and so bringing bringing that into the conversation, like that's that's the reemergence of uh, Robert Downey. That makes uh, Woody Har- Harrelson a fucking rock star. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Um, that's and that's and, Juliet Lewis's. Uh, is that her first or second? I have to look this up. That's her second. And uh, you know, and a lot of people. Natural born yeah. killers. Yeah. And that really, and I think, I think that picked up her career right there. Those two movies. And, and a lot of people uh, attribute that as an Oliver Stone movie but they don't realize actually that uh tarantino's fingerprint is on yeah. that well he he definitely yeah he wrote that and yeah that's that's another one of the big <laughs> debates is uh with natural born killers and with uh true romance is how different of a movie would either one of those been if he directed them now true romance he sold out so he could have money to make reservoir dogs that's that's where he got the funding for right. reservoir dogs was he sold the screenplay of true romance uh, which to me is a phenomenal movie, and I, I, it, I don't know how fucked up this is to say to say this, but I, I think it's probably better that he didn't direct True Romance, um, because to me it's a perfect movie how it is. Uh, Dennis Hopper uh, and has one of the best lines ever, and I use it all the time in that movie where he says. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, he t- tells the story about the Sicilians. He knows he's gonna he knows he's gonna die, and he's he's uh, going to the map for Christian Slater, his kid, to protect him from the, the gangsters around him. And uh, he gives this ultimate insult to Christopher Walken, uh, basically calling him an eggplant and uh, giving him the, the, the right. history of Sicilians. And then he says, "So if that's true, tell me, am I lying?" And uh, <laughs> And then, and then he asked for the, you know, he's smoking the cigarette, and he knows he's just gonna get wasted, dude. But um, but yeah, and that's that's Quentin's dialogue right there. Um, and, and Tony Tony Scott's a cap- very capable director, so so that movie I think yeah is good that it it wasn't directed by him because I don't think he would have been able to put it together in the way that it was put together then, just yeah. because he had. It, there, there's definitely the, uh, there, there's definitely the hints of the of the Quentin dialogue coming into form uh, with that movie, but you also get to see the beginning of the Scott brothers' vision on how they do certain things in certain movies. So you got to see some of the best of two of Hollywood's best directing and and writing teams from the past twenty five years. You get to see them both in tandem, actually, right. uh, from that movie. The Scott brothers have a very specific way of, you know, you always see that kind of choppy, slow motion scene here and there that tells you this is a very important event. 
and how they do some of the aerials and, and, and whatnot to be able to zoom in on, on the lead actor. There was a very specific Scott Brothers thing. And then combining that with the Quentin Tarantino dialogue, you know, you, you get you get uh, the this, uh, the creative stamp from both of them, right. uh, kind of at their you know, which is even even cooler because it's that they're you know they're still punk rock at this point, in time, yeah, so to speak, yeah. You know? So um, Jackie Brown, of course. Um, so then um, uh, after this. We go. There's a little bit of a hiatus with Tarantino because he's got. Uh, he, he actually, there's a couple of things that go on whenever we have the hiatus of between movies, where he can't decide on which script he really wants to do next. First of all, and then second of all, he has become so dynamic of a personality. I guess is is the right way to say it, that he actually starts fucking teaching screenplay at Harvard at this point. Which he still does. Did you know that? I did not know that. No, no I didn't either. Yes, sir. So uh, that was why we had the hiatus between movies, is because he was like, to be able to really become a master of the craft, you have to at least be able to teach the craft. So he goes, he, he taught for a little while at Stanford, and he teaches today at, at Harvard right now. Um, so... Uh, uh, that that's uh, that's why we had the hiatus be, between the between the movies. So coming out next is, um, well, Joe, what 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 is next after Kill Bill and and, and Jackie Brown? So okay, and then we get into, um, I want to say it's Inglorious Bastards. Did we I, skip from Dust Till Dawn? But I could be. Uh, yeah, we did skip it from Dust Till Dawn. Sorry. That's all right. Well, How from Dust Till Dawn, it was, no, it was before uh, the Kill Bills. So you, yeah. you asked me to go from Kill Bill. We have to mention that uh, Selma Hayek, of course, we all know is a complete smoke show. Yes. Nobody kill us for forgetting yes. about yeah. Selma Hayek. And Four Rooms also. Uh, probably yeah, Four Rooms. Yeah. And you know what? I'll, I've got to say, I'm ashamed to admit I have never seen that movie yet. Four rooms. Four rooms. Four rooms is great. Dude. I never had the opportunity to watch it, and I need to watch that one. Four rooms is cool because the thing about four rooms is it's done by four different directors, but the main uh, so it, it basically centers around the main plot line re- re- revolves around Tarantino's story. It right? does, yeah, and it's centered around Kim Roth plays a, a new bellhop at a, at an old uh, hotel on New Year's Eve. And and so he's got to deal with uh, basically he's there by himself and uh, he's got to deal with all the guests there <laughs> and, and he has situ- he has uh, situations that occur in four different rooms and each room is directed by a different um, by a different is is done by a different director so you got Allison Anders uh, Robert Rodriguez did one of them and Quentin did one and then. Uh, Alexandra Rockwell, which uh, you know, the two names that you are recognizable and the only ones that have really done anything of substance since then is Rodriguez and Tarantino. Uh, but the whole, right. the whole story, and, which they actually worked together on a couple projects, yeah, yeah, too. from Dust Till Dawn, they worked together on and they did uh, the Grindhouse Grindhouse. together and stuff, yeah. So, but um, but Four Rooms is great, dude. It's it's, it's actually a really well done comedy. 
and to get four different directors to get four different personalities to come together and kind of mesh four short stories into one into one movie is uh is, is, is really an accomplishment so I, I think that that actually spoke as much about the fact that Hollywood was so invested in believing in Tarantino as being the true artiste of our time. I think that's why that movie was able to work the way that it did. Because there's a, you know, you're dealing with a lot of fucking heavy egos whenever you're dealing with directors. Right. Yeah. And getting them all to follow the lead yeah. of the kid, basically, at this point. Um, it, it definitely says something. I, I speak. I think that speaks a lot to the <clears throat> legend of Tarantino at the end of all of this. Whenever we wrap it up, he said he was going to do ten great movies, and and with uh, his last one, that could have been the tenth if you count all of them. Uh, so we may have seen the last Tarantino movie, but I, seeing how everything began, I don't feel we have movies, seen the last one yet. No, no, he's talking about Kill Bill three, and he's talking about. Um, He's got a couple other things that he's been working on. I hope so. I hope so. Man, anybody um, anybody that could write the movies he's written and directed, there's plenty more in the, you know, plenty more he could do. So, uh, bouncing off the 90s, we come into the 2000s, and the first movie in the 2000s, this is after the hiatus, this is definitely Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Great movie. And, I fucking and, love that movie. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's, it's a it, it's a war movie, but it's also a comedy, and it's. I, I know Brad Pitt actually had a lot to do with the writing, and he may not get the credit for it. But uh, there, there's uh, if you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, they talk about how they just sit there with a bottle of uh, bottle of something, um, and just kind of bounce each bounce ideas off of each other, and. Uh, the, the the scenes with, with him and, and Christopher Waltz and he's like uh whenever he's trying to say his name in Italian that's definitely a Brad yeah. Pitt scene. Yeah. Man. yeah. That's definitely a Pitt scene for sure, because that's definitely Pitt's humor. And that's one of the things that's super overlooked with Brad Pitt is the fact that uh, you know, uh, he's turned into him and Leonardo probably are and maybe uh, maybe Ed Norton. Uh, those three are definitely our our top echelon of uh, our generation. Yeah, and Johnny Depp. Yeah. That's your top four of our. And generation. these guys were all pretty boys when they came up. I remember in the nineties. Yeah. I hated all yeah. of them. Whenever it's like, dude, I don't give a fuck about how good looking these guys are. Titanic came out. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and yeah. it's like all then, of a sudden these guys Leonardo, are fucking top notch actors, dude. And yeah. they're like, fuck. Yeah. It, you know, it's like all of a sudden Leonardo goes from like eating Gilbert Grape to winning eight fucking Oscars for fucking Titanic, even though that was filth. Uh, but uh, and and the Dude, same what, thing with Brad Pitt. What was that? What was that movie? Boy. Inception. Uh, yeah, Inception. Inception yeah. was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, and my favorite, one of my favorites that, all time, dude, with with Brad Pitt, will always be Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall is where he actually started creating yeah, his acting I shots. Agree. That was the first time yeah. where he, was, he was not the where they're showing him all skin on screen right. because he's such a pretty boy, Pulp Fiction and Thelma and Louise and whatnot. This is where he really, all of a sudden, you see an acting powerhouse. I mean, there's yeah. three scenes in that movie. I've seen that movie probably ten times. There's three scenes in that movie that'll bring a tear to your yeah, fucking eyes. Yeah, I love it. I love that movie because of Brad Pitt's because of Brad Pitt's acting. Yeah. Um, uh, so 
the fact that uh, he now starts into the Quentin Tarantino storyline and he's playing this incredibly char- charismatic character, this this the son grandson of an Apache, uh, <laughs> fucking Kentucky Hills guy, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, which apparently uh, one of his moonshining ri- rivals tried to fucking lynch him. That's the reason he has the crazy neck yeah. scar and all that shit. And uh, uh, and he's like, you know, it, it, you all owe me a hundred scalps, and I want my fucking scalps. <laughs> uh, just uh now you know you're you're there's now now there's a huge shift yeah in tarantino movies actually because now we're looking at darker subject matter we're looking at like historical references and in, in a true way but now he's spinning off of it um and uh so you lose the color cinematic uh kind of stuff going on the blood and gore is still there the dialogue is still there uh, but uh, you bring in a lot darker subject matter, which is kind of hard to say after Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and everything else. But you are really because he's touching on so many historical points yeah. from these movies on. Yeah, I Definitely. mean, you, you that, cover that, the um, the Holocaust and and, uh, and slavery yeah. and shit like that. You're talking about Nazis mm-hmm. and and you're you're making fun of Nazis and you also show their uh, how serious they were as bad guys. Uh, being in the French countryside, the opening scene with uh, Jean-Pierre uh, Pardieu uh, is just uh, an incredible scene uh, with his, uh, his three daughters. And that's the first time we see Christopher Waltz in a, in a Tarantino movie. And, and talk about the launch of a goddamn career. Yeah, He was already an established actor. But now all of a sudden you're talking about it every movie he's in oscar nominated kind of fucking deal. yeah he's on that's on par with uh javier bardem and the coen brothers with uh mm-hmm. no country mm-hmm. same kind of thing yep. i mean that's that's what you know him for now and yeah. uh but i mean he for the next like 10 years he, he just got whatever role he wanted um yeah and, and he was able to handpick roles that specifically highlight highlight his personality and yep and uh, uh, even with the James Bond movie with uh, with Bardu, yeah, he played that he played that he played that bad guy to the hill. There's never been a better bad guy right. in any of the James Bond movies, unless you want to go to like the cartoony shit with like Jaws, yeah, Moonraker, you know. The, yeah. uh, but um, but you know, I mean, there's there hasn't ever been a no. better bad guy. Um, so uh, and 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 exactly what we get here with Christopher Waltz. And, um, of course, there's other characters that are brought in and, and reoccurrences uh, that, that happen in movies after, afterwards. But whenever you're dealing with such dark subject matter, and at the time that whenever this movie came out, there was still a large enough portion of our uh, grandparents from World War II that they, the ones who did see it were shocked and amazed. Like, he received incredibly high, rate, uh, high ratings from world war ii vets like that was like a special write-up on hollywood insider how so many of these world war ii vets were like that's that's the that's fucking awesome they thought inglorious bastards was great which is saying something because you're talking about the motherfuckers who were actually there yeah no i love i fucking love that movie man and you know when i watched it i heard i heard so many critics you know people around me Dude, that that movie sucked and whatever you know it's like no nah. and and this this conversation is getting ready to be very akin to for me at least 
I see this as, as like a, a professional arc. Yeah. The same thing that Metallica went through. Yeah. Whenever Metallica switched over from Black, and then they did S and M, and they and they did some did did all their stuff, where everybody was like, "Oh man, they've sold out." It's like, dude, you're talking about kids who just used to play thrash metal who can now play with a goddamn symphonic orchestra. Right. They've really graduated to a whole new another level. They have, and this they is have. Kind of where, and you know, I've what, I've had my Tarantino went through. I've had my input on Metallica, and you know that, but you know it's. I still appreciate everything they put put forth. You know what I mean. And, and I think, I, I think this is that arc in Tarantino's yeah. career that he's going through here, where he's he's changed his artistic stance. So now you're dealing with, and this is after he's he's taught at Stanford for a while. He's begun these classes uh, dealing with uh, people at Harvard. He uh, and and his artistic ability takes like a big leap where he's able to take these historic one historic moment and build an entire story around yeah, it definitely. and make it spin around that historic moment. Um, that's a whole new kind of motherfucker. Yeah. Really? There's not too many people who have done that. Kind no, of it, was a, it was a big transition, man. And I love it. I definitely love it. You know, it's like I said, that's one of my favorite movies right now. Still to this day is the glorious bastard, man. It's my, my, that's Dude, one of the, the way it was done. Movies. The 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 way they shot everything, yeah. the way they shot everything, you know, with the foliage behind them, the fall, the German and, and and French background and everything, and you see a couple of the you know art boutique colors come in whenever they deal with the French cinema. Yeah, the, and they dress it up for the yeah. uh, for the Nazis. There's a little bit of a glimpse to the past there, but that's really the only reference to it. One of my you know one of my favorite the, scenes from that movie, movie man, is when they're in the basement. Movie. And they're playing that game with the cards on their head. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I fucking love that shit. Yeah. yeah. Such you know, who who else would have thought of that shit? Dude, and, that uh, which actually you know <laughs> and uh them them meeting there and, and everything and just the way that he just draws the bead through the whole story. And there of course there's Christopher Waltz at, at every turn. Yeah. The most um, you know, inopportune moment this motherfucker can show up is when he shows up every time. Right. Um, uh, it, it's like uh, he he is the protagonist that that uh, doesn't drive the movie. It's it's whenever whenever there's a there's a lot of good storyline going on, he comes in and kind of fucks shit up, and he tears up every scene that he's in. And uh, man, uh, for the life of me, I cannot think of her name. But uh, Diane Kruger, uh, the bl- the blonde Di- uh, Diane Kruger, yeah. Diane Kruger, she, uh, and she's appeared in several things since then, and she's getting better. And, are you talking about definitely? Are you talking about her, or Melanie Laurent, the uh, the one of the daughters? Which one? The one of the daughters. The okay, who Mel- Melanie Laurent. Yeah. Okay. All right. So she is. First and uh, first and foremost, obviously, I mean, she she's a bombshell, actually. But her acting ability since this movie, her appearing in that movie, I was like, holy shit, who is this? Yeah. And everything I've seen her in since then, and even a couple movies that were before this, like this woman is, she's a very talented actress. And the fact that she was able to get in there and play in the mud with the boys in this movie um uh says a lot about uh what she's capable of i think yeah 
Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and I like the the kind of I like how the movie pays kind of an homage to cinema, uh, kind of the whole film within a film uh-huh. kind of yeah. thing that he does. Yep, um, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, and the expanded Tarantino universe, you'll see. Um, uh, Gorla- uh, not Gorlami or uh, Margareti. <laughs> Gorlami. You'll, you'll see Margareti <laughs> turn up later in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. as one of the directors that DiCaprio's character goes to work for um, yep. In, yep. in Italy. And that's one of the cool things about Tarantino that I've always loved is he has like this expanded universe and you'll see references to his other movies within. Uh, yeah. From one movie the, to the other. Right. Like the Red Apple Yeah, the Red Apple cigarettes and the... Uh, you, you see it from Pulp Fiction all the way to Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood. Yeah, um, and Scagnetti. I mean, you see it as you see those as far back as uh, Hateful Eight. They're smoking those in the 1880s. Um, uh-huh. You know, which is, which is cool. He kind of did that and he made it his own. Um, and it's cool. Kevin Smith does that too. He's kind of got his own kind of universe thing yeah. going on. He has his own universe um, going on. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really a, a, a cool thing. I think that you see with directors um, that, that I like the little Easter eggs that they put in there. Um, George, yeah. You know, the guys who have enough, you see stuff like that. Yeah. So. You know, the, the guys who have enough stroke in the industry back in the eighties, you know, as Lucas and Spielberg and, and now you're dealing with, um, you know, Tarantino, of course, and, and uh, uh, the Coen brothers and, and uh, 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 the Scots as well, where, where they're able to tie in different pieces of their universe to, to string. They're able to, you know, like you said, the Easter egg from one movie 10 years ago. There's another reference to right. it in a movie today, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of. And it's, it's the coolest uh, feeling when you, when you figure it out, too. You're like, oh, holy shit, that's fucking Scagnetti from fucking... <laughs> you know he's in, he's in natural born killers too uh and then you try uh-huh. to figure out where the timeline uh you know comes into play and shit like that and the vega brothers and in uh pulp fiction and reservoir dogs which i i uh-huh. wish that they would have made a movie of that because that would have been cool to see travolta and madsen um doing that wouldn't film. it but yeah, i think they uh, shelved that indefinitely because uh, they're, they're um, both too old so- now <clears throat> So now we're moving into it's it's uh, it's Django then hateful yeah Eight, right well, yeah. we have Grindhouse too which was yeah. kind of a that was kind of a passion piece Alex, for uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino and, and, and that's Rodriguez. that's another one I never got a chance to see I mean and it, they're fan films with his and you know the, yeah, honestly the only reason I would want to see it is because I was a big fan of Rose McGowan she's in both of them I loved her yeah. That was, yeah, she's in both that was one of my biggest crushes for a while. Yeah. And it was... Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You know? She's definitely worth She's a smoke show, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, and- see, to see her in that <laughs> film, man, would have been great. And I never got the chance to see it. Well, the thing with Grindhouse is you have to watch them both because they were kind of made to be seen yeah. in the cinema. And that was like, Rodriguez, too, wasn't it? Rodriguez did... Uh, yeah, so it was Death Proof and uh, yeah. what was the yeah. fucking zombie one? Yeah. Um, the Rodriguez didn't. Well, Death, Death Proof was the Tarantino yeah, uh, one, which was it was okay. That was, that was Kurt Russell. That, that's where kind of the, the dialogue went bad for me on that. It was just a little bit too much talking about it in it. It was a cool concept yeah, and stuff, but um, when they, when they when they got to the action, it was funny, but there was a whole lot of talk. Right, about it. and of course, the other one was uh, actually uh, 
Planet Terror, which was actually God, it was pretty good. It was kind of a more of a horror. Uh, Josh Brolin's in it. Rose McGowan's got the machine gun leg. Some, somehow she lost yeah. her legs. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Robert one Rodriguez one is ridiculous too. We'll have to do a, an episode about him because yeah, he's got his own unique brand of uh, <clears throat> of ridiculous. You know, not who only the, the uh, director, who did the Sin City? Not films. only the director and creator of uh, uh, Spy yeah. Kids, right. but he's also yeah. yeah, he's done Spy Kids and he's done uh, these uh, Grindhouse yeah, movies, yeah. which is just awesome. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely have to do something about him. Um, but uh, definitely, as far as like a, a cool visual is, there's not too many cooler visuals than Rose McGowan having to pick up that leg. And, yeah, uh, like waste the of, waste of zombies. Um, uh, you know, here's this little fucking crippled smoke show with a fucking appenditure and just fucking, uh, you know, she got half a leg, but she's still hot as hell. <laughs> and boom, 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 boom. Fucking just uh, laying waste to shit. It's fucking... <laughs> no, that's that's the only reason I wanted to see that movie, man. It was I saw the fucking previews for it, and I'm like, God damn it, man. Yeah, but I was in the wrong yeah. place at the wrong time, so you know. Right. Yeah, you don't get a lot of selection. Yeah, there's still time. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Um... Sticking, sticking with the the Tarantino universe. So now we're moving into Django, then Hateful Eight. Yes, Day. you've got um, Joe has a great story to tell about this. So I'll set everybody up here with the, with the Django storyline for those that don't know. Um, Christmas Day. You're dealing with, uh, again a Christmas Day release of a true historic account of a civil war, a pre Civil War slave. Uh, the the story of Django is not unknown. That's the reason that song was actually available for Tarantino to pick up. Um, the beginning uh, the beginning credit song um, uh, that had been written quite some time ago because the story of Django has been around for a couple of hundred years. The one 